This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. If you fly fish long enough, you're going to encounter some mysteries of the fly fishing universe that will leave you baffled, befuddled, and maybe depressed. So, as a service to the fly fishing community, Dave and I try to be sages, wise men who ponder these mysteries. (laughs) And we're so wise, aren't we? Yes, we are. I mean, we lay awake at night wrestling with these mysteries, or maybe it's just because we're mid-50, I don't know. (laughs) We had to get up in the, to <laughs> go to the bathroom. That's Sorry. Right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> but some nights we perhaps lay awake wrestling with these mysteries so that you, our listeners, don't have to. But maybe you should because we still have more questions than answers, don't we? Well, in a recent podcast, we identified five mysteries of the fly fishing universe. And today, we're going to identify five more. Dave, what's one that keeps you awake at night or gives you nightmares or just leaves you unsettled? The top one today for me is, why does it turn out to be the worst year in 25 years on the river that you just traveled 1,450 miles to fly fish? Oh, yes. I feel You've been planning for the trip for one year. Absolutely. You're going back with these high expectations. Right. You get there, and the fly shop owner says, yeah, oh, by the way, this is probably the worst year we've had in 25 years. And there Uh, was, like, no rational reason. No. That was happened last year on the Gardner River. Yeah, it was. And we went into Park's Fly Shop, and they're uh, they're great there. And the year before, we had just done fantastic. So we... We really built our trip around fishing that river, didn't we? Oh, my gosh. Well, it's a good lesson on a lot of different levels. And one is just because you have a really good trip on a specific river one year. Right. Kind of reduce your expectations for the next year because it is not going to meet those expectations. Now, in fairness to us, we're not total bumbling idiots. and we I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, Yeah. that's that's up for debate. But we had a lot of backup plans. Oh, we we, did. We fished enough, so it wasn't like it's it's that river bust. But that definitely changed things. We still had a great trip. We caught a lot of fish, but... I think we caught one between us out of Well, that, you did. You caught that, that one, yeah. yeah. It's a mystery of the uh, fly fishing universe, right? So why yeah. on a trip is that that, you know, for worst year in 25 years? Right. right? I mean, some, sometimes you can point to that, you know, the, the water really changed. There was a flood or it dropped or or there's some kind of a fish kill or, you know, disease. But there was none of that. There was like none of that. It's so just, on uh, that particular river, it yeah. was the worst year in 25 years. Yep. You know, this happens to me. Almost every time I, I go to hunt in the fall in North Dakota, I only have a window of three to five days. And it's either the hottest <laughs> year on record or the oh, driest man. year on record, or yeah. it rains the whole time. Yeah. And usually we go the first or second. It's actually yeah. the second weekend of October. And sometimes there was like a foot of snow on the ground. And you're like, what? Yep. And some years it's 90 degrees. Or the geese aren't down yet, right. or the fe- pheasant population is the lowest it's been on record. That's so frustrating. It is. It's a mystery yeah. of the outdoor universe. All right, we're going to pause for just a moment for a word about our sponsor. Steve, today we're going to do something different in the middle of our episode. We are pausing for a short break for a sponsor, our first sponsor. Can you believe it? That's right. This is new to us. Yep. I tell you what, our first sponsor is Dr. Squatch. 
men's outdoor soap. And it is great stuff. It is great stuff. Now, I have to tell you, the brand manager reached out to us recently. I think it was in April. And when she reached out and said, hey, we might be interested in sponsoring your podcast, I, I didn't mock her. But I just thought, yeah, right, that's never going to happen. Because you yeah. and I made a commitment when yeah. we first started this podcast that we would never, ever have a sponsor that we didn't believe in. Right. But something changed, and we got that soap in the mail. Oh, man, that is great stuff. We just loved it. Uh, the, the shampoo and the... The conditioner, it just smells so uh, fresh and outdoorsy. And There's all sorts of, uh, of products. Like there's these square bars of soap, pine tar, um, bay oh, yeah. rum. It's just mm -hmm. amazing, oh. and you feel squeaky clean. It's amazing oh, soap. Do. you do. I love the pine tar. In fact, I have to tell you what I did. Even though I knew they were going to send us some more product free, I couldn't wait. I actually ordered <laughs> I ordered some more soap, Dave. Can and you, you must have it? entered the, the two guys uh, I did. promo code. Yes. If you use the promo code two guys, that's the number two and then G U uh, Y S. I guess that's how you spell guys. <laughs> I don't know how to spell guys. <laughs> yeah, but if two guys, if you use that promo code, you get twenty percent off on, on your order. So yeah, really, really superb stuff. So go to drsquatch.com and fill up your shopping cart, add the promo code, get twenty percent off. Dr. Squatch, drsquatch.com. And now back to our podcast. Well, here's another one, Dave. Uh, why do fly fishers wear chest waders when fishing an ankle to knee deep creek on an 80 degree day? <laughs> and we're not talking about us on this one. Uh, a couple years ago. And we're not ago, judging anybody, no, are we? No, no. Well, yeah. A little bit. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> I mean, we witnessed this in the Driftless a couple years ago, and, and I think that's the funny thing about it, too. It's not like uh, this was on the Yellowstone or, or you know, uh, the Missouri or some big river where you, you can wade up to your waist or, or chest if you want. I mean, this is a, this is a small creek. And <laughs> the I, deepest pools go up oh, to your knees. It was, and I, I really felt sorry for this guy. I mean, he was a big strapping guy anyway, and he's got these waders on, and it's it's over eighty in the sun. I'm oh, thinking that goodness. guy is cooking in that outfit. Well, I know. I I think he missed the memo that said there's no law that says you must wear <laughs> chest waders when fly fishing. I saw this oh. in Colorado just a couple. Uh, weeks ago, I was out there seeing uh, a client or a prospect, and I uh, fly fished a couple hours with your brother and his son. I'm trying to. Oh yeah, which, Caleb probably. Yeah, Caleb. it was Caleb. Yeah. yeah, and sure enough, we're on this tiny little stream, Bear Creek. It's 85 degrees, and there are three or four other fly fishers on the stream, and every one of them oh, has man. full regalia. <laughs> and you're like. Did somebody not tell you that you don't have to do that? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to me. It's yeah. not a uniform, yeah. <laughs> people. Exactly. Get your fly fishing uniform on. <laughs> oh, oh, my. So what are some options, Steve, oh, other than the goodness. full uniform? Goodness. Well, well, one is, and we've started using these as waist waders. In fact, you remember hip boots? I back do in remember. The day? Yeah, I remember it's kind getting of a farming thing where you put the hip it, boots on. It really and was, and then you'd use them for fishing. And yeah. I'd always fill mine up with water, uh, so I don't recommend hip boots. But yeah, waist waders work really well uh, for a place like the Driftless, or or simply wade in nylon pants or shorts with your wading boots or. Or now, with if you use your wading boots, a lot of people like to do that because then they use a neoprene sock, which in theory never quite seems to keep no, up the moisture. Doesn't. There's another mystery. Of the, well, it's not really a mystery when you look at that. 
you know, like, how are these things going to work? Well, the answer is they don't. They don't work. Yeah, they're or, just kind of a layer between your boots and your skin. Yeah, they That's really kinda are. That's kind of how I see it. And in theory, they're supposed to seal, you know, like at the top. Like if you think of a tube sock, they're supposed to seal at the top so that water doesn't run down. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, I have a couple pair of yeah. them, and neither works well. No, no, they, they just don't. But uh, wading shoes and sandals work well. I've, I've got a pair of Sims that I like. Um, and old tennis shoes work, right? And not obviously to wade uh, the Yellowstone, right? Yeah, I mean, you're not. I'm not saying rocks. you should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. We're not talking about real swift moving, right? Mm-hmm. Stream. We're talking about smaller shoes. Yeah. Yes, you should wear your wading mm-hmm. boots at minimum if you're, right. you know, uh, fishing the Yellowstone yep. or some of those. But I do think there is this kind of gear happy, uniform mm-hmm. mindset that right. I need to have that green waders in yes. the spring and mm-hmm. the right. you know the the sure the other color did you I, remember, the other different colors <laughs> did you remember recently we were in a fly shop and i won't say where but we saw a dad and a son and i mean they they look like models they did and they had their their waders their wading boots on their vests on it's like Wow, did I miss it? Is the stream run right behind the fly shop? <laughs> and it was also an 80-degree day. It was yeah, a warm, yeah. warm spring day. It, it was. So, <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just love your We're line. We're not judging, though. No, I, I'm I'm not. You might be, but I'm not. No. But I love your line. It's it's not a uniform, people. It's just, it's not a uniform. It's not a uniform. You so, don't have to wear oh it all. Oh, man, yeah, I know. Exactly. So anyway, we've, we've just done uh, Fly Fishers Everywhere a great service by letting them know it's not a uniform. Also, I, and this is not necessarily a good thing. So I'm just saying I grew up with kind of a minimalist approach to gear. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have a lot of money. So we didn't. You didn't always have the best gear, so you kind of yeah. just did what yeah, worked. So right. an old pair of tennis shoes or yep. old pair of even hunting boots yep. that you weren't going to wear anymore but it had yep. some grip on the bottom. Hey, <laughs> you know, let's take yeah. these out. Oh. So I, I'm not saying this is should be your pattern, but right. I'm just saying you can wear a lot less and enjoy yeah, the day. You can. I'm, I'm laughing because that just reminds me, this isn't related to fly fishing, but when – our, our two sons, and they're about, uh, what, maybe six years apart in age, five years apart in age. Anyway, when our, our older son, Ben, when we were in living in Bozeman, near Bozeman, Montana, and they have a they have a Lions Club, this football league. So, so Ben played. I mean, we're a baseball family. We didn't know anything about football. So, you know, it's the fall. It's cold. So, hey, Ben needs some gloves. I got the brown cotton, you know, the hunting <laughs> gloves out. And, you know, for something warm underneath, he's wearing a hoodie, you know. Uh, <laughs> so you know, he, so much for layers, yeah, huh? so he Those plays in that. Well, Under well, Armour layers. I know. So by the time Luke comes along, we were a little bit wiser, and I think things, you know, they, they improved the technology a bit. So, you know, yeah, he's got the Under Armour gloves. He's got the Under Armour, uh, you know, shirts. Technology, oh, yeah. yeah. It's great. So, you know, our, our older son still razzes us about that. And He had hey, cotton hey, underneath hey, all ben, that, yeah, and hey, he froze. Ben, right. Ben, I know you're listening, so I apologize <laughs> once more, even though you've never accepted my apology. For anything. <laughs> yeah, that's right, but... Well, hey, anyway, we were talking about waders. Dave, I think you have another uh, mystery related to waders. <laughs> so another great, yeah, yeah, another great mystery of the fly fishing universe is why do your old 
fishing waders, and they're not that old, but they wear out on day one of a five-day fly fishing trip. As if the trip is not expensive enough. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's right. And it wasn't just like a hole that you could repair. Like they blew no. out. Yeah, right. Right. And you realize, oh, my, my, the feet are now rotted, yeah, completely rotted. rotted out. Yeah, they're rotted they're out. Right. Rotted so out. this happened to me in Montana. I don't know. It's actually more, it's like 10 years ago. I realized how old oh, those man. waders are now. It was, yeah. it was like 09, 08 or 09. Yeah. I'm not sure mm-hmm. when it was. But fortunately, we were near Dan Bailey's fly shop in Livingston, Montana. I got a really great pair. And so it I, was a blessing in disguise. It huh? is. I told my wife it was a blessing. <laughs> That's right. Somehow, yeah. <laughs> somehow that didn't uh, didn't translate well. But Jim is uh, so patient with but you. But this stuff always seems to happen at an inconvenient time. Oh, I know. Consuming it does. both time because you have to stop to yeah. go shop, mm-hmm. and that's not really why you're out in Montana or wherever you're at, and then the money, right? So who can Mm -hmm. add an extra, if you're buying waders now, I mean, you're at two, three hundred for an average level pair. If you're buying Sims, it's 700 bucks, Mm -hmm. right? But I mean, who can afford that on a, on a fly fishing trip that you're already spending a thousand dollars or $1,500, you know, to to do so. And you've done this with other fly fishing, fly fishing uh, pieces of equipment too. We have fly, fly rods. I left it on the truck, on your truck. We were on the Madison. on the Madison. Kind of between Quake and Hebgen, yep. that's right. And I remember buying a Reddington. We went, yeah. to, I thought, you know, I can't afford like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. Sage or right. know, Winston. I just blew a bunch of money on this trip. So oh, I got a good little Reddington. I really liked it, actually. In fact, yep. it, it caused mm-hmm. me actually to purchase uh, an eight and a half, four yep. weight uh, recently just for a, a like a third or fourth rod. Yeah. This is a great mystery of the fly fishing universe. It is, and it is, but but it happens uh, that the gear you the rely gear blow on out, will yeah. blow out when you can afford it least, but and when you need it most. That's right. <laughs> so, yes. Oh man. In fact, maybe we ought to just budget an extra like, five hundred bucks or six hundred bucks on a trip. That's the key. Yeah, exactly. That is the key. And then for sure we'll spend it no matter. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. Oh, <laughs> no man. matter what happens. That's right. All right, Steve. Is there are there any other mysteries well, of the there great are. fly Here, fishing universe? Here's one that still troubles me, and it's this: Why do you catch a fish in the first run of the day and then nothing for the next four hours? <sighs> you know, I honestly what is that? I, I laugh about that, but I'm starting to man. Every time I fish the Missouri River, that's my story. Last two times we've been there, first cast. You know, I caught a nice big rainbow on a. We've we've been we fished the Missouri. Uh, river below one of the dams and and uh you know boy both times first slinging streamers yeah Yeah, streamers hooked caught these nice big rainbows and and i'm starting to dread that now i mean how is that when you catch a fish and you're thinking oh no 15 minutes or the first cast even i know but i now when that happens i'm starting to think i'm not so sure this is a good thing you start to cringe yeah because i think oh great Here's my one fish for the day. I got my, four hours. My one fish for the next morning. <laughs> Am I the only one on this day? No, Does no, this no. Happen to you? I had once had a, this terrific 15 minutes on Timber Cooley. I got there and I hit this run and they were hitting nymphs. And I sat, or not sat, I, I, I stood in the middle of this run and yeah. caught probably 10 fish over the course of oh, like man. 15 to 20 minutes. Wow. And from that moment on, I fished, an- it was literally another four or five hours. Really? And <laughs> I didn't catch a thing. It was unbelievable. I'm thinking, what? And why did they stop when they stopped? Yeah. It's one of these great mysteries of the fly fishing oh, universe. I know. It is. It's a it's crazy so thing, the cra- isn't it? It's the craziest it? thing. Yeah. It's just that fishing does not happen 
in patterns well, that's or good, in simple patterns, That's a right? good point, yeah. It's really random in some right. ways. Right, and it, it's sometimes in bunches, and just when you think it's going to be a bad day, it turns out great, and when you think, oh, it's going to be a great day, then it kind of tapers off. And, you know, uh, this happened on The Gardener last year. We talked earlier, our first point, mm-hmm. which was, you know, why is it the worst year in 25 yeah. years? Mm-hmm. But remember... The second time we fished that, you actually caught a fish within a few minutes on yeah. it, and then mm-hmm. we didn't catch anything for right. the rest we of the thought, day. Well, hey, maybe this is going to be good today, and that was it. That was it. Yeah, it's one long fish. It. All right, um, so one final mystery of the fly right. fishing universe. So, why did two guys who love fly fishing for trout so much move from Colorado and Montana? To the Chicago suburbs. Oh man, Steve, that's why don't so you start true. with yourself? <laughs> oh, that's so true. Yeah, people think I'm crazy. They say, "What? You left Montana, really?" Well, I, I guess for me, it was uh, it was family. It was the need to be closer to my mom. Uh, my folks had lived in Montana for a number of years, but they moved back to Central Illinois, and and uh, my dad had passed away, and uh, looking for options can I bring my mom back out to Montana but at the end of the day I I knew I needed to be closer to her and that was a vocation and just the right opportunity at the at the right time I wasn't so sure if is is this the right place but honestly it's it's been a good move and I, I think for our family it's been a good move in a number of ways one of them honestly was financially and and uh those years in Montana were not easy um yeah, you know, I know sometimes people will say, well, you know, to live in Montana, you, you have to take a little bit less, but you get to see the mountains every day. And I, and I get that, but the mountains never paid any of my bills. Yeah, for sure. And, and the other funny thing is, Dave, I've, I've been able to focus on fly fishing when I go back a time or two a year, where when I lived there, and some of it was just a stage of life, but daily life kept me from fishing as much as I would have liked. And yeah, I had the benefit when the caddis hatch, the Mother's Day caddis hatch was on. I could usually carve out an afternoon or or a couple afternoons to, to go and hit that. But I have to say I, I like going back and, and just being able to fly fish for five days, and, and that's all I have to worry about. One thing our listeners probably don't realize, Steve lived between Belgrade and Manhattan, Montana, so he did not even live in Bozeman, he lived north of Bozeman, right. northwest of Bozeman, yeah. mm-hmm. in one of the most beautiful valleys. I mean, you look, you step outside his house, and you're looking at, you know, uh, basically a horizon, 360 degree horizon oh, yeah. of mountains. You the house, the bridges. House that, yeah, the house we built. In fact, you, you look down and you can see we're we're kind of the first, we're the first on the first hill in the in the in the north part of the valley. So you look down, and you see the valley floor. I mean, in that first mile, I I could pinpoint within I think a few hundred yards of where, uh, you know, Will, Captain William Clark and then Sacagawea, where they walked on their return trip uh, back. They they Lewis and Clark split up at the Three Forks, uh, so Lewis could go back up to uh, follow the Missouri, check out some things, but. Uh, Clark wanted to find the Yellowstone River, and then they were going to meet uh, where at the confluence, which is what. I think eastern Montana or, or western North Dakota. But anyway, uh, yeah, you look out and see that kind of stuff, and it was, it was just a gorgeous place. And, and I love that, and yeah, I miss that. But, 
you know, there, there, are other, there are other aspects to life, other responsibilities, other considerations. So so what were the mountains that you could see from your house? Oh, my you goodness. You could see the Bridgers. We could see the Bridgers. We could see the Spanish Peaks. I could actually see the Absorkies in the, the little saddle between the, the Bridgers and the Gallatin Range. So the Bridgers, the uh, Absorkies, the Gallatin Range, the Spanish Peaks, the tobacco roots. I think I could see... Uh, uh, some of the big belts, and, and it was an amazing vista. Yeah, so that yeah. was a big, big shift. Yeah. I wondered when you came back here. I just thought, huh, how's Steve going to do that? Oh, I know. Because uh, I know. that was a man. And you go to yeah. here in Chicago, ten million of your closest friends. Yeah, right? that's right. Well, I remember the first time I flew in here at night. It was, I almost couldn't process that. I, I it just blew my mind. All the, all the lights, and just thinking how many people, and oh my word, but. But in God's grace, there are a lot of trees here, so you can't see that there are no mountains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only thing you can see it, you know, yeah. there's no horizon. Oh. That's the one thing. There is no horizon. I know. The horizon no. is your neighbor's dormers yeah. on his house or her house. Yeah, that's true. So, Well, and how about you? I mean, you made the move from Colorado. It wasn't that much different. No, we lived actually in Golden, which is just west of, of Denver, and... I had yeah. two job offers actually in the early '90s, but the one I really wanted was here in mm-hmm. Chicago, and it just so happened that this was where my wife's family lived. Mm-hmm. Her dad had died many, many years ago. Uh, he had died when she was 12 years old, but her mom was still alive and very mm-hmm. vibrant and healthy, and her brother and his wife and family were here. But that actually was not the reason; it was really for the job. And but I did have two job offers, and mm-hmm. finally. Um, this one, the one I really wanted, was delayed. I had to. I basically didn't want to give up this other job offer yeah. before I took this one. You know, okay. before I, you know, I needed to have one in hand. Right. So, but we made the decision to move here, and it's interesting. We, Jen and I, my wife and I, have talked about this a lot. You have this idea what life is going to be life here, like in the new place that you're going yeah. to be at, mm-hmm. but you really have no idea. No, you don't. And it no. really did take me. I will say, probably three to five years, and I don't know how long exactly but where i would stop looking to the west yeah because mm-hmm. you always there's always right. a fixed point you have the mountains mm-hmm. and when you're living in yeah. the denver area and the front range area you you know you just always know where you're at yeah. here you don't know where you No, at. Uh-uh. i mean you do need my kids need oh, gps man, to no get around kidding. right yeah i i need i need that in my car i need a compass because no longer can i yeah look at the mountains if it's gray outside points. you have no idea where yeah, you're at. yeah. I don't know what it's, direction it is yeah. yeah it's just endless suburbs yep, so absolutely yeah why did we do that it's a great mystery i think it's because obviously our lives are not just yeah. fishing and i think yeah. we've talked about this and we're yep. going to talk about this in an upcoming yep. podcast absolutely right any other takeaways great fly fishing uh mysteries of the universe no i guess maybe the main takeaway would be it's it's that these mysteries keep us humble and laughing and shaking our heads otherwise i guess fly fishing would get too predictable and we'd be so successful that my head would swell and i couldn't even fit into that sims hat that i always wear all right it's time for great stuff from our listeners this is from steve in indiana and it's on our podcast about diners dives and two hungry fly fishers Uh, Steve and Dave, great podcast. When fishing the Yellowstone region in late summer, I always stay on the water for the evening when there are fewer fly fishers and more mayflies. That's a good approach. Yeah, for sure. That means the evening meal is typically a quick sandwich at a pullout. So breakfast is my restaurant meal of the day. 
A couple years ago, I had a fine breakfast at the Old Town Cafe in West Yellowstone. The food was great and the service was great, but what made it special was this. I sat at the counter and struck up a conversation with a fishy-looking fellow two stools down. Turns out he was a guide who had spent his whole life in West Yellowstone. He had all kinds of local knowledge and was willing to share it. I asked him questions like where does he fish on his days off, answer Hebgen Lake, and where he would recommend I fish in the area. One general tip that I remember, that famous fall fishing, Madison River and other waters in that area, often turns on a week or two before the fall crowds show up. And that's great to know if you don't like fighting mobs of people on the water. So what did I learn at that breakfast? First, sit at the counter. Second, stop and chat with the locals. You never know what info you might pick up. Oh, that's great. And Isn't you know great? what? That yeah. is exactly what our guide said last year. Remember? Yeah. He talked when we yeah. fished the Madison. Mm -hmm. He said yep. fish it earlier in September. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's right. That is yeah. great. That really is. So, yeah, that's a, that's a terrific comment. And we... Uh, uh, yeah, we appreciate that from Stephen, Indiana. Oh, that's great. All right, that will do it for today. What are fly fishing mysteries that have you baffled or befuddled or bummed out? Please share them with us by commenting on this podcast link at twoguysinarever.com. What other fly fishing mysteries have you pondered over the years? We'd love for you to add to the whining. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, thank you for referring our podcast to your TU chapter, Fly Fishing Club, and friends. That's how we grow. We are so grateful for the trust that you have in us and all the referrals that you've given to us. We'd, we'd also love to hear your ideas for podcast episodes. And you can reach out to us on Instant Messenger or Instagram or Twitter. One more thing, if you haven't yet purchased our book, the Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, mm -hmm. Catch More Fish. You can find that on Amazon. <laughs> Amazon? Amazon. Amazon. We'd love for you to find that on Amazon. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Hey, wait, that's my line. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Thanks again for listening to our whining. <laughs> All right, I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are two whining guys in a river. <laughs> for the love of fly fishing. Fly fishing.